Apple Card is the perfect cashback rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase, every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City Branch, subject to credit approval, terms apply. This is Recode Media with Peter Kafka. That is me. I'm here in Vox Media headquarters with Jimmy Pataro, who is president of ESPN. Welcome, Jimmy. Great to be here. Thanks for having me, Peter. Thanks for coming here and not making me come to Bristol, which was the original plan. You're still welcome. I'm happy to come to Bristol. Beautiful place. It's a beautiful slug. campus. It's a slug. Do you live up near Bristol at this point? We, we relocated from Los Angeles to Westport, Connecticut, which is kind of right in between Bristol and Manhattan. Yeah, because you got to come to the, the Upper West Side occasionally, too. Exactly. But most of my time is in Bristol, which is about an hour drive. I think if you've listened to this podcast, you know that Jimmy recently took the job at ESPN. But let's explain how that happened. You had been at Disney for a long time. This job came up, what, about a year ago? 15 months ago, yeah. 15 months ago. Did you raise your hand and right away and say, I want to be president of ESPN? Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. How, does that, how does that process work? So I'm lifetime sports fan. Uh, I have some history in the sports media business. I was over at Yahoo, responsible for Yahoo Sports. Yeah. At a, you know, in 2006, 2007, um, before um, I took on some other responsibility there. Uh, but my, my goal was always to get back into the sports media industry. And I think in the first meeting I ever had with Bob Iger in 2010, we talked about, you know, the fact that the Walt Disney Company, uh, you know, of course, owned ESPN, and that could be something down the line that I could move over to. So but, you initially went to Disney to run Interactive. Correct, it w which at the time was one of five segments at the company, yeah. broken out separately. And so, yeah, Bob, Bob hired me to go lead that group. He said, I'll run your digital group, your interactive group, but one day I want to run ESPN. You sort of flagged that early. It wasn't, it wasn't, there was a conversation around you know, the potential of me at some point moving over. Yeah. I didn't give Bob an ultimatum mm -hmm. <laughs> and say, you know, I'm going to join. I really wanted to join the Walt Disney Company and work for Bob, to be honest with you. I was, I was quite happy at Yahoo. Yeah. At the time, I had a ton of variety at sports, news, entertainment. And, you know, when I first sat down with Bob, you know, I very quickly realized this is someone I wanted to work for. So I was, I was more than thrilled to have the opportunity to go over and, and, and lead one of the segments. And there was... Well, there were multiple stories. I think I wrote one of them about you. At, at one point, when John Skipper was running it, there was a thought that they would send you out there to sort of work under him and uh, and sort of with the idea that you'd be sort of groomed to eventually take over ESPN. And basically, the short version is Skipper said, no, no thanks. So you, you, stay, in, you stay in Burbank. Yeah, look, over the years, I, I, I don't know. That, that, that's probably a conversation that happened, if it did at all, between John... And, and Bob, uh -huh. I wasn't obviously privy to that conversation if it happened. But I will tell you uh, that over the years, Bob and I had many conversations yeah. around, you know, me, me potentially moving over to ESPN. I get my annual rev review, we sit down, uh, and we have a conversation around what could potentially be next. And Bob, Bob knew how passionate I was about sports, you know, not just, you know, teams and, and players, but sports media. I really, I really love this entire industry. So the job comes up, you've been looking, you've been, you've been interested in this job for eight years. Correct. It, and it's now open. And, By the and, way, sorry, sorry, yeah. before you move on to that, more than eight years. When I was at Yahoo, you I, I was, I've been a big fan of ESPNs for my entire life. I grew up. So it's not just eight years at Disney. Right. It's but my so you, whole life. You have this recurring conversation with Bob Iger saying, one day this is something I'd really like to do. Now that spot is available. Does he just sort of tap you on the shoulder and say, go for it? No, no. How does it work? You know, I, we had a conversation um, soon after John left the company around, it was a high-level conversation. Hey, let's, let's get together and talk about this. And so Bob and I had many conversations. I think it was over a three-month period, actually. Bob and I had many conversations. And, um, you know, I, I fought for this job, you know, I, you know, I had the, I've had the pleasure of working for Bob, or I had the pleasure of working for him for eight years at that point. Um, so I think Bob knew me very well. But at the same time, this is a really important part of the Walt Disney Company. This is a sprawling business. 
and no one is just going to hand me that job. So I had to step up and demonstrate a vision for the company. You know, how do we take this company forward? The company was doing quite well, but what's next for the company? So I literally laid out a vision. I laid out. Is that a memo? Is that a presentation? It was both. It was both. You know, and I said to Bob, without having the benefit of being there on a day-to-day basis, but having the benefit of sitting at your staff meeting for eight years, sitting right next to George Bodenheimer for the first couple of years, and then sitting next to John for, for the years after that, competing against ESPN for many years at Yahoo, I had a foundation and I had the luxury of understanding, you know, the successes and, and the challenges for ESPN. So, you know, I would literally every Sunday, every Sunday go on a three-hour hike with my wife and my dogs and, and talk about what I would do if I had this job. And I would crystallize my thinking, and then I would meet with Bob soon thereafter and kind of further the conversation and say, look, if you give me this job, here's, here's where I think we this need to This is during go. this three-month period. It's not Correct. every, this every is, weekend. Okay. No, no, this, this, I was this, this your is why I was running vacation. Disney Interactive or Consumer <laughs> Products. 52 is, weeks a year. This is during, during that three-month yeah. period. And, and so it was, a, it was an opportunity for me to kind of crystallize my thinking, sit down with Bob um, repeatedly and, and walk him through and kind of flesh it out so that if you fast forward to the point in time where I actually got the job and did my first town hall— I felt very comfortable up on that stage, you know, talking about where I thought the company needs to go and giving the team some clarity as to what our strategic business priorities would be. Was there one major thing that where Iger either said, oh, I hadn't thought of that, or actually I need you to go rethink this because you're not going the, no, the way I want to go? No, there was nothing that I presented to Bob that he hadn't thought of, but I will tell you that the two of us, I think, really rallied around this idea of audience expansion, you know, and and, and so— you know, of course, direct-to-consumer was already a huge priority at the company, Walt Disney Company and also at ESPN. Right. And we were gearing up to launch ESPN+. And so that kind of went without saying that it was, you know, huge priority. But as a natural extension of that, how do we attract, you know, a, a more casual fan? How do we attract a younger audience? How do we do more to attract women to ESPN? And so we kind of, we spent a lot of time talking about the different initiatives that we could potentially invest in, the different types of content um, that we could invest in, the different rights that we could acquire to continue to make ESPN more relevant to these these new populations. So, talk about audience. Um 2012, 2013, you guys have 100 million people watching or uh, subscribing to ESPN per Nielsen. Now you're down to 86 per Nielsen as of last fall. How much of what's going on at ESPN is structural and it's about the bundle and about people cutting the cord or not signing up for the cord versus a specific programming issue that ESPN has or that sports has? Look, there's there's been a secular decline. You, you just cited, I guess those are Nielsen numbers. Yes. For us... We've been very focused on, I guess, running parallel paths here in a couple of different ways. But we, I believe, are still, you know, to this day, serving the core sports fan very, very well. You know, we've, we've, we've made some, you know, adjustments in terms of, you know, what we're putting on air. You know, some real tactical examples, like some tweaks to a show like Get Up, which when it launched, was somewhat criticized in the it's media. It's a morning show. It's a morning show. Get up. At, at, yeah. yeah. At, at the time, it was airing from 7 to 10 a.m. Um, we condensed that to 8 to 10. We picked up the pace of it. We made some changes in terms of who was in the studio and bringing in some more experts. Anyway, it's just one very specific mm-hmm. example of, of, of a change that we made that I think is, has, has really helped us in terms of serving the core sports fan. And if you were to look at our research, I think you would see that that we are doing quite well with the core sports fan. So I wouldn't say that 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 the declines that you're mentioning are connected to something necessarily beyond you know the secular decline that 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 you mentioned. I mean, just everyone is is everyone is going down. Everyone's everyone's subscriber base is going down for the same reasons we're talking about. It's not specific to sports, and it's not specific to ESPN. Yeah, I think I think look, people have many more options yeah. right now than than they did five ten years ago. And by the way, the options aren't just on the 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 sports and entertainment. You know, video side, the options are, and I think many many of my peers in the industry have talked about this, gaming. Right. You know, so any, Fortnite, anything on your phone. Anything on your phone, exactly. And so there are a finite number of hours 
during a given day that people can engage in entertainment, sports and entertainment. So and, going back to that conversation you're having with Bob Iger over three months and, and your poor wife for, for every yeah. weekly, was there any hesitation on your part that, you know, ESPN had for a long time was the most powerful, uh, really, programmer, period? Um, enormous amount of money. It was able to spend an enormous amount of money to buy sports rights. It seemed impenetrable. And then the last couple of years of John Skipper's tenure had become this sort of question mark for for Disney. Um, you know, maybe it should be split off. Maybe it was dragging Disney down and, 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 and maybe they weren't going to be able to afford the sports rights they've paid for. Was there any hesitation on your part that, ooh, maybe this is a, a problem that I'm taking on? No, none. I, I would say, look, the conversations that Bob and I had were more about the, the importance of having a direct relationship with the customer. And we talked a lot about the importance of having that data and being able to serve a personalized experience. That was really a big chunk of the conversations is how do we generate this data so that we can be this or continue to be um, this uh, contemporary media company. And when we say contemporary mo- or modern media company, I think in large part what we mean is having the ability to serve the right content to the right user yep. at the right time. And, and so what we ultimately decided to do was, and what we're doing today is running parallel paths. We are continuing, by the way, the vast majority of U.S. television households still have that, that multi-channel bundle, yep. right? And they're getting great value in terms of depth and breadth of content. And by the way, we continue to invest as we acquire new rights. We are looking for new content for that platform. We are developing original content from our content group for that platform. The same for time, the traditional bundle. For the traditional bundle, yeah. exactly. Um, at the same time, we, uh, we want that direct relationship with the customer for the reason I just, I, I just mentioned. We want the data. Um, we want to be able to personalize. Uh, and so— And you're going to get that through selling them this ESPN Plus correct, product. Correct. So, so there's—but t- they're two very different things, right? One is the, the stuff you s- they sell through Comcast or yep. Hulu, any, any sort of—any tr- any, any version of that bundle. That is the stuff where you spent the most money to buy the most rights. Um, any premier product you have there goes on yeah. there, right? NFL. TN, uh, NBA, NBA baseball, right? Yep. ESPN Plus, at least for now, is sort of stuff that you're not putting on. Uh, They're complimentary. On They're correct. It's an add-on, right? So it's for a hardcore sports fan or someone who wants a very specific thing that isn't being served up to 86 million other people. So you can only get data about those folks who are really sort of at the end of the bell curve, like the most ardent sports fans or they love lacrosse or they love a specific college, whatever it is. Compare that with what Disney is doing with the Disney Plus product where they're saying, we're taking our most valuable programming, um, stuff we sold for a ton of money to Netflix and other outlets. We're bringing it all in. And essentially, you're going to come to us to get it, and that's going to be the one place to get it. It's a very different approach with what's going on at ESPN. Do you think at some point, right, and this is just soliloquizing now, but do you think at some point ESPN follows that path where, that be, where the, the premier product is a thing you can also get directly from you guys, or is it always going to be wholesaled through a Comcast or a Hulu? Look, we, we have a great product in market right now. The product really works. If we decided to go in that direction, we're set up for it because of the ESPN app, which, we, by the way, we relaunched at the same time that we launched ESPN+. Plus. So mm-hmm. there's some confusion in the marketplace that the ESPN app and ESPN+, Plus are the same thing. We re- relaunched the ESPN app, which is the home for all of our content, including when you authenticate, including yeah. free content. Um, but you built this ramp so you can do this if you want or if you have the we ability have, we, to. We, have, we, have, we, we do have that option. Now, right. just to back up, Peter, for a second, I will tell you that the UFC deal that we did that is an ESPN Plus focused partnership. You went and spent a bunch of money on Ultimate Fighting, and you're saying the bulk of that is going to go on the on the the DS, the, the ESPN vast Plus. the vast majority of that content, including the pay per views, yeah. are on ESPN Plus. Um, we have fantastic partnership with the direct to consumer international segment at at the Walt Disney Company. We are very aligned on the strategy there. So I would just go just to back up for a second. I will tell you when we are out there acquiring rights, we are not always first and foremost looking through the traditional television lens. And I think the UFC is a great example. Top Rank Boxing is another example. These are major media rights that we've acquired really with a focus on advancing the subscriber base for ESPN+. Now, as we move forward and these rights come up for renewal, the rights that you're talking about. Um, NFL, NBA. All, 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 all those major yeah. sports rights. Um, 
We are 100% focused on acquiring rights also for the ESPN Plus platform. Now, a couple of, of, of smaller examples over the past couple of months when we did the AAC deal and we did the, the Big 12 deal, those rights have material ESPN Plus components to them. And, I, and you will continue to see that as we move forward. But you're still going to put the stuff that has the biggest audience, the most potential on the main, on the main cable. I don't know the answer to that. I will tell you that— I, mean, I would assume, by the way, the people who are selling you those rights want you to do that, right? I'm sure the NFL, by the way, wants its games to be on ESPN or ABC, not on ESPN+. They want the broadest exposure possible right. on the most reliable platforms. I think if they were sitting here right now, they would, they would say that. And by the way, we can give them that. I think they know that. So I very much like our hand in that department. Yeah. If you look at the— um, I don't want to digress here, but if you look at the, the, the competitive landscape, you know, there's been a lot of commenting uh, around the challenges that we are facing today and that we will continue to face. What I will tell you is that we've always had competition, but we really like the place that we're in right now in terms of the, the amazing reach and scale yeah. across our digital platforms, across our linear platforms. You know, the fact that we can bring a broadcast network and several cable channels to this table at the same time, the fact that we have the Walt Disney Company Synergy Engine, the fact that we have the best production team in the business. You know, I, 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 when I think about a future where we're sitting down with the major leagues to negotiate renewals of our existing deals and potentially acquire additional rights, I really like the situation that we're in. I was going to get to this eventually, but I may as well ask now. What do you think the odds are? This is a perennial question on this podcast. And I write about it all the time. What do you think the odds are that, that the NFL or the NBA takes some of its premier, most valuable stuff and sells it exclusively to an online uh, outlet, a Google, a Facebook. You mean for the next round? Yep. I think it's. I, I think the the odds of that are low. I, I think just to go back to my point before, I think if they were sitting here right now, they would tell you that it, it, their job, like our job, is to expand their audience. Um, they want to attract as many people. They want to grow awareness. They want to grow affinity for their respective leagues. And it, again, no different than our focus for ESPN. Will they do something exclusive? I don't see that just because we bring so much value, you know, in terms of— And know, or just that they're conservative, right? That they're, that they're worried that if you put on—if you move a Steelers game to Amazon or whomever, and X percent of people have trouble streaming it or can't figure out how to turn their the box on or issue, any of yes. it, they, they just don't want to deal with it at all. Yeah. Now, will stability still be an issue in five years? I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. I will tell you that ESPN Plus is, is, is very stable. It's a fantastic product. But even beyond the stability issue, I will tell you, again— you know, the, the power of the ESPN platforms, you know, and I'm not just talking about television. I'm talking about ESPN.com, the ESPN app, you know, all the content, the, the content engine that we have to drive value. You know, this is, this is a rising tide. So if I'm a league executive, I'm thinking really long and hard about not having ESPN as a material component of, of our ecosystem. I want to talk to you about leagues and rights and all of that. I want to take a quick break. We're going to hear from someone, right, Golda? Golda's nodding. Okay, we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna continue to make Golda a character on this podcast. You can't hear Golda, but she's she's good character. Okay, be right back with Jimmy Pataro. Apple Card is the perfect cashback rewards credit card. You earn up to three percent daily cash on every purchase every day. That's three percent on your favorite products at Apple, two percent on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and one percent on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA. Salt Lake City Branch. Subject to credit approval. Terms apply. Back here with Jimmy Pataro. Just talking about what's your favorite online time waster when you're not working? That's a really good question. Um, check your email. Check the site. Well, that's work. Yeah, no, 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 no. And then the next, the next flick on your phone is oh, to— love Instagram. Yeah. Um— it's kind of work, right? Kind of work, but but you know, kind of entertainment. Yeah. Uh, I, I'm Are you a on huge Insta? Yankee Can we follow fan. you on Insta? I I, I don't. Are you I don't. Locked? Uh, I'm not really posting. on You're Consuming. Social. I'm consuming exactly. Uh, but I'm a I'm an insane Yankee fan. So I'm 162 games a year following the Yankees. And you grew up around here, right? I did. I grew up right outside of the Bronx in Westchester County, maybe 15 miles. Um, north of the state. All right, so I can I can allow you your Yankee fandom. Yeah, I, I mean, it, uh, it's a gross team to follow, though. 
It was the Yankees were on. Yeah, the Yankees were on uh, every night at dinner. Um, it's like being a fan of GE. But it's all right. I'll, I'll grant you that. Um, by the way, my sister, it's, it's all in the family. My sister is, is a senior lawyer at Major League Baseball. So we, uh, we are a baseball family. We love all sports in the Pitaro household. But. So you're a fan of baseball. You were, you were talking before we left uh, about, about sort of the pitch you're making to the leagues. And I wanted to ask you about just the relationship with the leagues in general. Yeah. Because there's been a lot of stories, and I think you've talked about this out loud publicly, about one of the things you wanted to do when you took the job was to sort of repair or fix or whatever the right metaphor is, whatever the right verb is, relationships with the leagues. Advance. That always confused me because it didn't seem like John Skipper was running around antagonizing the NFL. You guys were spending billions of dollars a year on those rights. What's the difference between his approach and your approach? Look, I, you know, again, the word I would use is, is continue, or the words I would use, continue to advance the relationships. Uh-huh. I'm certainly not going to be critical of you know, my predecessors. Okay, so at, let's, at let's take John out of the picture. Yeah, yeah. But what, what, need, what needs to be fixed or advanced or... Look, let's just take a step back. Yeah. We know the power of live sports in a world where, where so many things are down. You know, if you look at our content across the board in terms of live events, Major League Baseball was up last year. NFL was up, I believe, around 8% last year. I'm, I'm speaking about ESPN in general, but the entire league was up. College basketball was up for us 15 or 16% this season. UFC is up anywhere from 75 to 100% year over year. Live events are incredibly valuable. And, 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 so and they're much, incredibly valuable to ESPN, right? It is the main thing that differentiates you from somebody else. Incredibly valuable to um, you know, our traditional partners on the NVPD side. Uh, and, and, and so— Because for, no one's actually paying—I mean, if you were talking about the morning show you were doing, right? And, and that's a nice thing for you guys to have, but it's not the core of—you're getting ESPN well, because you want access well, to the NFL and the NBA. I, I wouldn't even go there. Sports Center is incredibly valuable, you know, and it's incredibly— uh, But it you, used to be the main thing was on ESPN, and over the years, you, your predecessors took all the money they had and used it to buy sports rights, and that became the main driver for ESPN. Live events are absolutely the main driver. Yeah. But I will tell you, if our head of sales, ad sales, was sitting here right now, she would tell you uh, that, that Sports Center is an incredibly valuable uh-huh. asset. She would tell you that Get Up is a, is a, is a valuable asset. That, that's been growing for us. We're a, just agreeing that live sports drives the correct. what you guys do. Right. So, so just to, to go bring it back to your question or your point, when these deals come up for renewal, we want to be in a very good place with our league partners. We want, to, we want there to be a, a mutual trust. We want there to be credibility. We want them to want to continue to engage with us. And so that's really the driver here. For me, you know, if I'm going to spend my time on anything, it's going to be on making sure that we are in the best position possible to acquire live but, rights. But what does that mean, right? Because your money is as good as someone else's money, right? And presumably you have more money than some other bidders. Um, again, like you've explained, they know who you are. In the end, isn't whoever's going to write the biggest check going to win? What do you, and, and, I, and I if not, think, what, do you, what do you need? I don't think it's that easy. I don't think it's that simple. So, like, take the NFL, for example. Is that a matter of you need to work closely with individual owners, make them more comfortable? Is it a Roger Goodell thing? And, and how do you do that? Look, it's spending time with mostly league executives. Mm-hmm. I would say it's, it's less about individual owners. Our relationships are with the league executives. And I will tell you, there are weekly phone calls, weekly meetings with, with all leagues. I think the NFL gets a disproportionate amount of attention. Mm-hmm. Right or wrong, for whatever reason, there was a perception in the industry that the relationship be- between ESPN was strained. I can't comment on that. That predates me. I will tell you that we do spend a lot of time with the NFL league executives, but we spend a ton of time with baseball executives. Right. And I was just using them as an example, but, the, but, but yeah. that, in your mind, that was a thing that you wanted to do more of. We want to get more face time with these guys. We can't just write them a check and then come back every couple of years. I, exactly right. And, and so that, that, that means continuing to demonstrate to them what we bring to the table, but also continuing to focus on you know, this is what I'll call the spirit of innovation and working with them to get alignment on the necessity of trying new things. So, you know, an obvious example of that is, is putting mics on players, bringing this all together. As we talk about expanding our audience, one of the things that we think we should be doing is giving the younger generation more access to players and coaches. We've had some, and this is an incredibly novel. The NFL mm-hmm. has been doing it for, for many, many years. Um, but we see, we see that type of access 
resonating with the younger generation. Yes, the younger generation still loves their highlights and they love, you know, they love the personalities that we put on air. But what we're also seeing is they want access and authenticity with athletes and with coaches. So when we've, when we've experimented in this department and put a mic on Mookie Betts in center field with the Boston Red Sox, you know, we, we see that kind of thing resonating. Uh, Kyle Lowry during a pre And that's the kind of thing you get through having more comfortable relationships. Yeah, having through them trust. Having more comfort through, with you. Through, through trust and them kind of embracing this spirit of innovation and, and, and trying new things. So, you know, there's so many examples, Peter, but, you know, the partnership that we have with NBA Advanced Stats and Second Spectrum where we're doing alternative broadcasts. I think the NBA trusts us in terms of going ahead and not just doing the primary broadcast on ESPN or ABC, but also doing something alternative on ESPN Plus or ESPN3, where, you know, we are... um, we are offering different modes, different options, you know, for our fan where they can actually see, you know, some kind of graphics on the screen that show player shot probability, where they show um, yeah. different play diagrams, where they show animation. You know, when someone throws up a, a brick, they actually see a brick on the screen. Yeah. That type of thing, again, it, it does, what we're seeing is it does resonate with the younger generation. And, and so, again, because I, I think there is that trust with, with the NBA, they're very inclined to partner with us and, and, and try new things. So these are your partners, right? You're spending a bunch of money with them. They're selling you a product. Um, that all, it's same thing as, you know, Turner buying a, a show from whatever studio, right? It's, it's a very straightforward relationship. What's different about you guys is you also have a news arm that's writing about the individual games, but also the leagues, and you do some very fine journalism there. Um, and again, with football occasionally, this has been the, the biggest flashpoint um, because it is, I think it's the most sort of troubled sport, right, in terms of concussions and abuse. What kind of message are you getting from the NFL about that coverage and whether they want to see more of it? or I'm sure they don't want to see more of it, whether they'd like you to do less of it. I haven't received one phone call from any league partner about our, what I'll call investigative reporting or enterprise journalism. Mm-hmm. Hard stop. Been in this job for 15 months. I think there, is, there was some noise in the system that potentially based on my league relationships that I would get those phone calls and that as a result... I would make changes to our investigative reporting unit. The answer to both is no. I've not received the phone calls, nor have we made changes. So my job, and and full disclosure, this is not easy. It's probably one of the harder things that I have to do is make sure that that we are continuing to to cover these more sensitive issues um, and do so in in an exemplary fashion. At the same time, manage league relationships. But again, I will tell you that that no one from any league is calling me to complain about, you know, the the, the fact that we are, are being unfair in terms of our, our, our news Is reporting. it the kind of thing where they don't have to call you and tell you because it's already sort of built into your head like, hey, we could run this story about CTE or we could or we could try to make a better bid on, on NFL rights in a year or two? Look, we, we are not shying away from those tougher stories. I will tell you flat out, we are not. And I think if anyone from our investigative unit were sitting here right now, they would reiterate that. I mean, if you look at, you know, the just the past couple of months, we've had several stories that have been critical. They've yep. been honest and fair and balanced, but at the same time, they have been critical. And, you know, again, no, no one's calling me to complain. Um, so that that's that's the good news. You know, my job is to make sure that we are the place of record. I, and I really mean that. So when something happens in the sports industry and you tune into ESPN, you need to be you, you need to get it. You need to be our job is to inform you. Our, our job is to serve the sports fan anytime, anywhere. And that, in my mind, includes investigative reporting. Uh, something else that you've talked about, I think publicly, I think Bob Iger's referenced it and certainly has come out in the coverage of, of your regime, is a move away from, people use various euphemisms, but away from having social commentary, political commentary. Um, again, I don't know, you don't want to really reference John Skipper, but he made a point of, of promoting diversity on air, um, made a point of saying that you know it's very important to serve specifically African Americans. So I'm conflating a couple different things, but you guys have clearly sort of moved away from from talking about societal stuff and political stuff on air, on the site. Yeah. So so look, let me start off by saying we have not moved away from diversity on air as, as a priority. Or diversity in general at ESPN is an incredibly important priority for us. 
Yeah. And, but, and, to, but to put a fine point on it, right, like John had, had said specifically, uh, he'd taken a version of SportsCenter and basically put uh, two African-Americans on and said, we want this to sort of be our hip-hop sort of inflected show. We think we want to court that audience. And basically, you guys have pulled back on that sort of programming. Look, the, the, we have not pulled back on the intersection of sports and culture, uh-huh. sports and politics. That, you know, if, if, if there is something that happens out there that is at that intersection, we will absolutely cover it. And we will cover it in an exemplary fashion, period. What we don't want is people to tune into ESPN or people to tune into an ESPN feed on a social platform and, and get pure political commentary. We don't believe that that's who we are. We don't believe that that's why people tune into ESPN. And by the way, you know, we've talked about this a bunch in the past, but we try to make as many decisions as possible based on data. And we've done a lot of research in this, in this area, and our fans have told us that, that this is not why they tune into ESPN. Do you think that it's people who have a certain political bent saying, I don't, want, I don't want to hear anti-Trump stuff, or is it people saying, I don't want to hear about politics in any form? Well, look, what, what we hear is that, you know, sports are supposed to unify, right? And that means ESPN is supposed to unify. And so that's, that's the approach that we're taking. But sports is always intersected with, with race and with politics yeah. over the years, and especially in the 60s, right? Yeah. 68, and Muhammad Ali and Cassius Clay, right? Yep. It's, in, in, by definition, it's political in a lot of, in a lot of cases. Um, so to sort of say that, well, sports is entirely separate from the rest of the world and it has nothing to do with politics seems difficult to imagine, and you see it periodically, yeah. right? Every time a, a sports team now wins their championship, the question is, are they going to go to the White House? Right, and, and by, by the way, that, in my opinion, is sports news, uh-huh. and we will come it and have covered it. You know, that, that, that White House example was a good one. That is part of what we do, and, and we'll continue to cover it. And so your distinction is, we'll write about whether or not the Red Sox are going to go to the White House or whatever the team is, um, but we don't, we're not going to encourage, which Jim Hill no longer works there, Scott Van Pelt to talk about how he feels about Donald I, Trump. I wouldn't, even, it, 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 I wouldn't even say we're not going to encourage Scott to talk about it. Uh-huh. If Scott wants to talk about it, he's going to talk about it. If he believes that it's sports news and his fan wants to hear about it, he's, he's going to talk about it. And, and that, the, the same goes for all, for all of our programming. So that's a clear thing that you wanted to change when you got there. That was a clear sort of, we're going to change, we're going to turn the dial. Yeah, I, I, I would say that that, that was a, an area of focus of mine. Um, but again, just to reiterate, we have not over-rotated here. When there is that intersection, and we've been clear with our team on this, we're going to continue to cover it. We've talked about this a little bit in this conversation, and you and I were talking off air about our kids. Um, we got kids. We know how they're consuming media. Um, my kids sadly don't like sports at all. Maybe that'll change one day. But over, so they're one. Both they're 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 spending a ton of time doing non-sports stuff on their phone, right? And then we, you talked about Instagram, right? House of Highlights, huge success, ten million or however many subs. It's got. It's not a straight highlight reel, but there's a whole lot of of highlights there. It's. it's really good. I can catch it, almost all the important parts of the, of the NBA playoffs through my Instagram account yep. right now. How do you program against that? How do you accommodate for that? It's the real world. You can't stop it. Um, whether those rights are sanctioned or not, it's going to be on someone's phone. So, how, so as, a, as, a, as, a, as a network that used to make a lot of money packaging those clips, how do you deal with that? Look, I, there, there was a moment, moment in time at ESPN where um, there was a lot of attention placed on that exact question. And I think at least in part, some decisions were made um, along the lines of, hey, we now have to try some new things because highlights are, um, are, are becoming more of a commodity right. and they're available everywhere. So let's mix it up. And, and, and so if you fast forward to today, Peter, I would tell you that we believe that when you tune into ESPN, you're going to get more than just, we, we know you're going to get more than just highlights. You're going to get highlights with personality. And again, just going back to my point before, you know, as, as the place of record, you tune into ESPN, yes, you're getting highlights, but they're part of, of a broader package. You know, if you're tuning into SportsCenter, you're not just getting highlights. You're mm-hmm. getting analysis, and you're, 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 you're getting it through, through great on-air talent um, with, with really compelling personality. That, that, that's our focus, and that's, that's, I think, how we differentiate from a highlight experience on Instagram. Do you think that applies sort of generationally, or do you think, look, we're just not going to be, I'm sure you're not going to tell me this, but do you think 
I'll ask anyway. Do you think there's just a 15-year-old who you're just not going to be able to get to watch ESPN because he or she has all their needs stated on, on the Internet, and what you're really doing is sort of doubling down on the audience that already knows you, knows who you are, is used to watching you? If there is a 15-year-old out there that, that, that doesn't need ESPN right now, we are not throwing in the towel on that 15-year-old. Instead, what we're doing is, is we're, we're looking at what we can do to bring that 15-year-old in. And what we're seeing is that, yeah, they're interested in, in highlights and, and, you know, some of our competitors are doing a nice job on these third-party social platforms. At the same time, they're, they're really interested in, in getting more access to athletes. And what we're doing now is we're starting to, well, this is actually not new, we're continuing to develop our relationships with athletes. We want to have athletes look at ESPN as the platform where, where they can tell their stories. So, you know, and, and in different ways, you see what we're doing with Kobe Bryant and Detail, which is now ex- extended to Peyton Manning and his, his version of Detail. I mean, I'm going to break down this play, this player for you. Exactly. Yeah. But it, 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 it feels intimate, right? When you're, when you're tuning in, you feel like you're, you're not just getting a breakdown of the play, to use right. your words, but you're getting some access to Kobe or to Peyton. When these are things that, in theory, Kobe or Peyton or Kevin Durant, who you're also working with, could all just do through Player Tribune. They could. Or they could do through Instagram. They could do it on their own. Do it on their own. Some of them are doing simultaneously, right? Right. LeBron James has its own has his own media company and can go direct. Doesn't need to work with you or Sports Illustrated. So yeah. how do you convince them to work with you as well? We want them to look at us as one of the platforms through which they can tell their story. Not not the only platform. But we want them to look at us as a place where we will be creative, we will be innovative, we will not just take their ideas, but we will, we will give them ideas and suggestions, um, it, a, a, a true partnership. But again, a platform with scale. Like, that's one of the things that they, 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 I believe, have recognized and will continue to recognize is the great, the great reach, the power of the ESPN brands right, and platforms. Right, because in theory, the internet is... Global can reach anybody. Um, you could say if you're Kevin Durant, you can set up shop and reach literally billions of people. But you're saying, look, in the real world, we have this apparatus, and people are engaged with us, and it means something to be attached to our brand. So look at look at what we did with uh, or what we're doing with Detail. That is a product. That is a show that lives on ESPN Plus. However, we are consistently taking chunks of of Detail and putting it on Linear taking a specific highlight, weaving it into, for example, our sports center programming, and, and using that to drive back to ESPN+. Plus. So if you're Kobe or Peyton Manning, and, and one of your priorities is you know, to, to expand your reach, what better way to do that than through the, the, the multi-platform experience than that is ESPN? Let me ask you about sports betting um, and how you guys are thinking about that. Um, it's now legal in some states. It's going to be legal in more states. You guys have always sort of referenced sports gambling in some way or another, but it wasn't the direct sort of thrust. Uh, and there's various approaches, right? Um, Fox is literally going to start taking bets um, next fall through a company they acquired. Um, you guys are doing— I don't know if they acquired. I think they invested, invested in it. Invested in, that's yeah. correct. You guys are sort of in the middle ground, right? You're not going to be involved directly in betting, but you are going to w- create more programming around betting? We serve the sports fan, and that includes— that includes the sports fan that is interested in sports betting information, getting more educated in that area. And what Bob has said consistently, what I've said consistently is um, the focus there is going to be on news and information. And so to your point, yes, we've been in this space for quite some time now. We have podcasts. We have a show on ESPN+. Plus. Mm-hmm. Scott Van Pelt has Bad Beats as part of his Midnight Sports Center. We had a product called Insider. Uh, we, we just had this content kind of throughout all of our experiences, online and on air. And so, you know, you fast forward to today, and yes, I think it's, it's fair to say that this has become more of a priority, but more of a priority looking through the lens of news and information. So does that mean you think of this as a discrete thing, and if you are interested in sports betting, you're going to watch this show as opposed to having it being woven into the broadcast and people are referencing the line? Because there's a world coming in which you're going to be able to bet live during the game. And there's a, there could quite obviously be a place where you guys are discussing odds 
while the game is going on and it gets yeah. woven directly into the telecast. We're not there yet. We're, 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 we're not there yet. Um, but how do you feel about that idea? Uh, or do you want to keep it separate? Like, this is, this is, this for is now, watching for, sports, this is betting on sports. For, They're for, separate things. For, it's a good question. For now, we've decided to keep it separate. If we were to ever to enter into that space, meaning including that information as a part of a live event, uh, we would only do that in partnership with the leagues. Mm -hmm. you, know, you know, we would never just throw that content up. But again, we're, we're, we just, we haven't even had those discussions yet. All of our focus now is on a show like The Daily Wager. Do you, do you have any pause about, about sort of the addictive nature of gambling and, and lots of people can do it and it's fine and it's, it's entertaining and a lot of people do, uh, you know, uh, NCAA pools, et cetera. But there's clearly a segment of the population that probably struggles with it in the same way they struggle with alcohol or smoking or drugs. Does that concern you at all? Look, our, you know, we are, we are going to do this responsibly. We, we will have public service announcements on air. When we take local advertising, and, and I emphasize the word local, because it would have to be geo-targeted um, online or it would have to be— right. New Jersey, but not New York. Exactly. It would have to be served up locally through radio or local television. We will make sure that, that we are including the appropriate warnings as a part of those advertisements. Yeah. I just mean you personally. Do you have any? Because like we're, we're at a moment now where we're spending a lot of time talking about phones and digital and whether we should be spending less time with these and maybe we should move our kids away from phones. Uh, meanwhile, you're watching all the media companies sort of embrace sports betting. It seems like the two things might be sort of – there's a dissonance there. Yeah, we, look, we talk about it. We absolutely talk about it uh, internally. I will tell you that just to take it back, our mission is to serve the sports fan. And, and all of our research shows us that the sports fan is very interested in lines and spreads and this odds information. And so we, we feel like it's a, it's a natural extension of what we're doing right yeah, now. Yeah, I guess the argument would be to pretend that it doesn't exist is silly too, right? And you guys, for Daily Fantasy, you guys, or Fantasy, you guys have been running, you know, whatever, the, that information along the bottom of the, uh, well, all the networks have been doing that for a while. Well, so I, I don't have the exact number, but our research department uh, presented me with some data a couple weeks ago that said that something like 60 to 70% of, of people placing bets are already watching ESPN. All right, so you've got the audience, you're just giving them more stuff. Yeah. Good. We're gonna take one quick break, maybe we'll hear from a sports betting company. What do you think, Golda? No? Right back with Jimmy Pataro. Back here, Jimmy Pataro. Um, we talked about betting, we talked about politics, uh, we spent a lot of time on sports rights. Are you guys gonna, a couple more sports rights questions, are you guys gonna bid on Sunday ticket? Bob Iger was asked that question on an earnings call. Uh, we're in exploratory mode right now. Um, this is the this is the sort of the next big NFL sports rights bucket that's coming up. Yeah, it's it's it's, it's one of them, I, I believe. But we've had some exploratory conversations in that in that department. In general, football content obviously resonates incredibly well across our platforms and with our audience. It's a big part of what we do. It's a big part of who we are. So we are very interested in acquiring more football content. And just overall, right, and there's every year the sports rights go for, for bigger and bigger sums, as we talked about at the beginning, sort of the, the, the base audience for you guys, but everyone in, in sort of the, the traditional TV world is shrinking. Do you think at some point collectively the people who are interested in buying sports rights say we're not going to pay an increase, we've, we've capped it? Well, I'm not even quite sure that's legal. You know, for, for they can't collectively say that. Look, I, I think that you have a couple of things going on here. You have more people interested in sports rights. You have more companies interested, and you have more platforms right. out there. It's All kind the of internet the same guys, thing. Asia guys. Yeah, but but I think there's been a lot of focus on you know the fangs. Yeah. But and probably not enough focus on some of these smaller sports startups that are out there that are well funded. And very interested. One of them is run by John Skipper. One of them is run, run by John. Very, very interested in, in acquiring sports rights. So if I'm a league executive, if I'm a conference commissioner, I like the world that I'm, that I'm living in right now. Again, I know I said this already, but with all that said, I still very much like ESPN's hand as we navigate mm -hmm. through these waters. Do you, I mean, do you expect that you're going to pay more in, for whatever rights package you have now? Do you assume that that will, be, uh, will cost you more the next time you're— I don't, you're I don't know. I honestly don't know. I don't have a crystal ball on that. I will tell you that, first off, we've always operated with discipline. We have the best rights acquisitions team on the planet run by a guy named Burke Magnus. He's got a fantastic team under him. That team has always operated with an incredible amount of discipline. That being said, we, of course, acknowledge the fact that 
it's not getting any easier for us. There yeah. are more competitors, and the value of live sports is only going up. Because for a while, it kind of you weren't there, but it kind of seemed easy for ESPN, right? They had this sort of chokehold on sports. They were just drowning in cash, and they could outbid anybody they wanted to. And if they decided they wanted to make sure that Fox couldn't get anything valuable, they could just buy all the rights. Yeah, I wouldn't characterize it as easy because— And they wouldn't there, either, but— there have been many competitors mm-hmm. in this space for, for many years. But again, the team has has operated with discipline, and that has meant that, that some of the rights that we were interested, we did not acquire because it was just yeah. too costly. So we haven't been out there just buying whatever's available. You referenced ESPN Plus a bunch. Um, it was launching sort of as you took the job, so you couldn't sort of tweak it. Have you made any significant changes? Well, it actually changes? launched, sorry to interrupt, it launched after I, I got the job. So I started in March and we launched in mid-April. Right. Yeah. But I mean, you weren't going to do any significant changes at that point, right? I, I, I sat in on product meetings right out of the gate. Yeah. But yes, you're right. In, in terms of the content that had been developed, the rights that had been acquired, that, that predated me. So now that you've had time to sort of sit and assess and figure out, are you, are you tweaking it in any significant way? Uh, of course, we're, we're, we're always tweaking. We're constantly updating the app. So the, the, the two big categories here, right? There's content, yeah. which is rights acquisition and content development. We're constantly tweaking, constantly out there trying to acquire new rights. We're also, Connor Shell's team is, is creating content specifically for that yeah. platform. That's going quite well for us. And then on the product side, this, this is uh, the direct-to-consumer international team. Some of the best engineers, and I come from Yahoo, um, I, some of the best engineers I've ever worked with, both on Aaron LaBerge's team and on the BAMTech side. We have an incredible group uh, of product and, and technical employees, executives, that are focused on continuing to advance this product. And I sit in product meetings regularly and have been blown away by the advancements that we've made. Was there something in the programming side that has been taken off in a way that you didn't expect? Programming, meaning the content yeah. that, that, that was Some, living something, on? Something that's on ESPN Plus that you thought, oh, I had no idea there was that kind of audience for that, and they're paying a lot for it, or they're converting at a much higher rate than I expected. Uh, no, there isn't. Nothing has really caught us by surprise. I think we've actually done a really good job at forecasting how... The, the individual live events would resonate and how our content development has resonated. I think, you know, one of the things that I love about this product is that if, for example, you are super interested in, in our 30 for 30 series, the only place that you can get it uh, is ESPN+. Plus. When I say get it, meaning exhaustively. Right. It used to be on everything. Netflix and you've pulled it back. Yes, there's only one place to get that content right now if you want every 30 for 30. And so I think w- w- as we move forward, we're going we're gonna to really get that message out there. We're going to highlight the fact that um, there are certain you know, types of content that you can only get within, within this service, and we think we have an opportunity there to mo- move the needle. Before we go, I just I want you to explain to people sort of how you got into the business. You're one of many people uh, I've met who used to be lawyers yep. and aren't. So for, there was a period in your life where you were a lawyer, yep. and then you were an internet guy. How, how did that happen? So I, w- I was a litigator in Manhattan. Uh, I uh, met and married an actress, and her career took off. Still or married. A, you can reference well, her. Yeah, we are still, mar- still married. Her career, she's been working since she was 11 years old consistently, and, and so— you know, there came a point in time where it was hard for her to be in New York uh, and and have to pass on opportunity after opportunity. So we ultimately decided that we would move west. As soon as we did, we had a pit stop in Vancouver where she was doing a show for NBC and then moved down to Los Angeles after that show got canceled. And she she signed what's called a talent holding deal mm-hmm. with the CBS network. And that put on, her, on a show called Yes, Dear, that, that was a hit out of the gate. And so I then... Uh, knew that we were going to be in L.A. for a, for a while. You're the tag-along now. Yeah, exactly, and proud of it, proud of, the, of, of that fact. But I then started to look for um, legal work in Los Angeles and met a guy named Dave Goldberg, who turned out to be one of my closest friends on the planet, and I, I became a lawyer for his music startup called Launch.com. I had done some Internet litigation uh, when I was in New York City, so I had some kind of an internet background, so he brought me on board. But this is so long ago that Launch.com's main idea is they were distributing DVDs and CDs, right? Yeah, you have a good memory. Yeah, I'm I remember impressed. getting those things. So, yes, but at the same time, you know, a year after that, or a year after I started, if you look at what Launch.com was, it was Pandora, Spotify, and Vivo. All of those services were part of 
the launch enterprise. Ultimately, launch got acquired by Yahoo. Um, Dave left soon thereafter. I stayed uh, because they gave me the opportunity to, you know, run Yahoo Sports. So, so that was kind of my big break, if you will, where I was a lawyer doing business affairs work and some litigation. And then the, the, the person who was running the media group at that time got to know me a little bit. The Yahoo Sports job opened up and he asked me to stretch and move, move out of business affairs and into a GM role for Yahoo Sports. And that so was you've been in the internet for a couple decades. So first web boom all the yeah. way up till now. Uh, is there anything about having that perspective that, that here, let me flip it around. So right now, all the internet companies are focused on millennials and, and younger folks. Is there stuff where you think, oh, well, this worked for us at Yahoo at launch, and then someone has to explain to you, Jimmy doesn't work that way anymore? It's actually the opposite. So it's fascinating. When I was at launch, we had a product called LaunchCast, which, again, was very Pandora-like. It was just very, very early. Uh, but it was it was personalized, not customized personalized radio, yeah. where algorithms were kicking into play, you know, looking at what Peter Kafka was playing and then, and then recommending and playing songs that were contextually relevant to you. And it worked really, really well. Again, it was too early. Mm -hmm. Timing is, is, is everything. And so if you fast forward today, where it's now 2019, and we're still, as an industry, trying to get our heads around this idea of right content to the right user at the right time. You'd think at this point it would be commonplace across every digital product, but I think people are still working through that. So I think, if anything, launch, launch was way, way ahead of its time. And so you're still hearing echoes of it today I am. in Bristol. I am. Jimmy, thanks for coming to New York. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Pleasure. Thanks again to you guys for listening and also to our sponsors who help pay for the show so you can listen to it for free. We love our sponsors. Recode Media is produced by Golda Arthur. It's edited by Joel Robbie, who hopefully left all the Golda references into this podcast. Please leave them in, Joel. If you like this podcast, and I bet you do because you're listening to me right now, tell a friend about it. Leave a rating for us on Apple Podcasts or anywhere that has podcast ratings. Thanks for listening. See you soon. Apple Card is the perfect cashback rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase, every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City branch, subject to credit approval, terms apply.